You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Yeah, but those are the same experts who picked yeah. them to finish near the top. Last Maybe year, the right? opposite will happen so, yeah, in 2022. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football bring you the latest in cfl news and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense are you kidding this is unbelievable ready set and we are part of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported i'm travis curra thanks for listening to the show there's all of a sudden a sense of optimism in the canadian football league the CBA deal was ratified late on Thursday before a midnight deadline, and we had preseason games over the weekend. I I was worried it was going to happen at all. Ottawa beat Toronto 23-17. Edmonton beat Winnipeg 30-20. Calgary beat BC 41-6. We do know that Edmonton and Calgary never had a work stoppage. So they do have more practices than both Winnipeg and BC. And then uh, Saturday night, the Ticats beat the Owls 25-23. Joining the show today, football insider with TSN, Dave Naylor, is going to help me put a uh, bow on the whole CBA situation that just wrapped up late last week in the CFL. And we're going to start our team previews for the season. We're going to start with the Edmonton Elks. The voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Chet and the host of the new Antler Up podcast. First guest is uh, Chris Jones. You got to check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Morley Scott is going to be on the show to help us preview the upcoming season for the Antlered Ones. This episode of To and Out is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which is on a mission to inform you about your city. Want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene? Take a listen to Bloom, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, hosts Emily Rendell-Watson and Fiza Ramji will discuss the latest developments in efforts to solve new problems and diversify the economy. Find out who has invented what, who is investing in whom, and what is on the horizon? Find Bloom wherever you listen to podcasts or visit bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. In the huddle with Karan Tai on the Two and Out podcast. And joining the show this week is a football insider with TSN, Dave Naylor. And I just want to wrap up the whole CBA thing. We just wrapped up a uh, weekend of preseason games in the CFL, but it looked like that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it came right down to the deadline. And mostly or usually uh, CFL gets the CBA stuff done at the last minute. That's not different, but... The work stoppage was different. Why was the situation able to get to that point this time around? I think there was a bit of a perfect storm. I think there was a lot of emotion pent up from the players missing 2020 and partial of 21. And, and they became kind of, you know, sacrificial lambs in, in a, to a degree. I mean, it's not like the owners didn't lose tons of money the season we didn't play football. But basically, you know, a lot of the, the difficulties, the challenges were were downloaded onto the players' backs, right? To have to deal with less, to have to have go through more protocols, to have to, you know, and I think coming back to this season, there was kind of this sense of like, okay, we've been through a lot, right? And then, you know, some of the tone and some of the tactics can put guys off. And and I, I, I'll say, I think there was a degree of misinformation to some degree. I think, you know, I, I sometimes see players spouting off about CFL teams making loads of money and hiding it. And I, I don't, personally believe any of those things um i think with 31 years around the league I, if that was happening i i would know it i don't think you know maple leaf sports and entertainment while it's spending while it has you know a hockey team worth a billion dollars and an nba team worth a couple of billion dollars is worried about hiding argo assets you know yeah. so i i you know i, I really just don't <laughs> believe that stuff but i think that contributed to some of it but um yeah, essentially, I think you had a perfect storm. And the other thing you also had was the players were never greatly inconvenienced, right? Okay, got my ticket, going to training camp. I'm being housed and fed, even though they weren't practicing for three days. And I and I think that's no small part of it. I mean, had they voted down the last tentative agreement, like we know on Friday, 
things yeah. would have gone uncomfortable. Like guys would have been escorted out of the dormitories. Guys would have been handed plane tickets home by the union or you no, know, like it, I, I think the, with everything you're trying to achieve, there's a price to it. And I think the price to what the players were able to achieve. And I, I think they achieved more than most people thought they could. And they managed to keep everybody together. But if they kept playing that game, I think it would have got a lot harder because one of the real challenges in football is that everybody's priority is different, right? Um, based first of all in, in take nationality out of it for a second, but just on, on tenure, like a, a, you know, an eight year tenured vet versus a guy who came here to get filmed yeah. to the NFL next year, they have totally different priorities. Right. And we know Americans and Canadians. And I, and I think it's worth recognizing, you know, the CFLPA took a lot of criticism for the fact that, you know, their membership voted down a deal that they had negotiated and their reps had recommended. And I think in general, they take a lot of criticism, I think that's a really, really hard job. I mean, to be running a union in football is harder than running a union in any other sport. And then you throw the American Canadian thing in there. Like you tell me if they, if they increase the ratio by one, is that good or bad for your union? If they decrease the ratio by one, is that good or bad for your union? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's Every a time complicated this thing got job. moved, right? Everything this thing, this thing got moved, I would look at it and say, well, what's the union stance on that going to be? Because they aren't the Canadian Players Union and they aren't the yeah. American Union. So what's your position on something like the ratio? And in the end, you know, they stood strong on having it reduced. Essentially, what they had it done was spliced. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, I mean, it's a living de- definition of a compromise, right? When you look at that, no, we got to keep it at seven. No, we want it at six. Okay, what if we call it seven, but we effectively you know, reduce half the guy's playing time. So it's really going to be closer to six, actually five and a half by the time we get to 2024, you know, but you still preserve that element of seven Canadian starters. It's a, it's like, it's a forever conversation in the CFL and as debate, hotly debated as it is in the room, it is equally debated among fans, right? Go, mm-hmm, go on Twitter. Is. You know, I want to see Canadian players. Don't you dare reduce the ratio by one next thing. I don't care where you're from. I want to watch good football. Give me the best players of it. Like, you know, and then, yeah. and you tell me which one is wrong, right? It's just the name. It's funny how they try to avoid this one forever. And in the end, it all comes down to that one, right? Was and, it the prospect of going home and not having the housing and the food that really put the pressure on the players to vote for that deal last Thursday night? I think there were a few things. I think there was, Yeah, the prospect that life was going to get uncomfortable, which that has to be part of the calculation, whether you vote, right? Like it has to be. Life was about to get uncomfortable. Uh, I think the ratification bonus was huge. You know, uh, what is what is twenty five hundred bucks a guy mean? Not life changing, but it's almost like an acknowledgement, especially since the league has had that in the past. So you know that was part of it. And I think also there was a sense that in any negotiation, you got to be careful how far you're pushing somebody, right? They rejected the, the final yeah. offer. They rejected the tentative offer. Then they put together another one. I think things would have got started to get a little nastier had they rejected that one. And I think that, you know, was probably part of the pressure as, as, as well, the understanding. And look, I look, give the players credit, but it's kind of like being at a blackjack table, right? You win, you win. Okay, go home. Right. If you try to stay that extra hour, most people end up giving it back. And I'm not saying the players are going to give back all the gains that they've made. But I think there is a point where holding out longer doesn't serve you well. And, I, and I'm glad for the sake of the league, the yeah. fans, teams and the players. I don't think it would have been a good experience for them. You know, had they said, no, nope, we're going for, you know, a million five on the on the bonus or we're we're not willing to give up any of those playtime of those starting Canadians. I mean, they within their rights, I, I just think it would have been. I think the owners felt like they had, rightly or wrongly, they felt like they'd given a lot. And I think they were prepared to give again up until that Thursday night. And after that, I think we would have seen some, you know, some tactics that wouldn't have been as friendly. I'm trying to remember my timelines here, but the the original... uh, I got to memorize for you if you want to know them all. (laughs) Saturday, May 14th, which was the final day of the old CBA... (laughs) The players and owners negotiated. They walked away about four o'clock in the afternoon with the memorandum of understanding from the leagues. The players sitting on the table unsigned. Okay. Yeah. The 18th, which is the Wednesday, they come to a tentative agreement on 
a new CBA. Yeah, yeah. They vote over the weekend. By Monday, we're hearing the Elks are the only team that aren't that haven't voted, uh, and it's all going to come down to them. That turned out to be wrong. The Elks never voted. There was no point of them voting. They actually oh, wow. were getting ready to vote, and they saw my tweet that the deal was dead. So whatever wow. the count was, Edmonton's was irrelevant. They didn't vote. So uh, that's what happened on the Monday. Then, you know, by late Monday, there's, there's, or late Monday, early Tuesday, there's already a proposal floating. Everybody's getting back into the negotiating game by four o'clock on the Thursday. Um, by four o'clock on Thursday, there is a tentative agreement, you know, between the two sides. The players confirm that they're going to vote on it by, you know, later that evening. And I'm going to guess about quarter to 10, you know, both sides acknowledge that the players had voted. Um, I, the league is supposed to vote, I think, today. But if, okay. believe me, I was told that if that was a matter of any debate, they would have done the vote right away. They just yeah. did it at the convenient time because it's a foregone. So, so yeah, there's your timeline. The 14th, <laughs> the 18th, and then uh, whatever last Thursday was, which was the 25th. There you go. 14th, 18th, and 25th were your, date, your labor dates here. So the deal that got voted down, it seemed before that one, the whole ratio with the 49% playing time naturalized Canadian thing was on the table. And then the six and one thing came in that got voted down. And now we're back to the naturalized Canadian thing. Are the, were the players fans of that? It, it's weird. First of all, it's because I heard a lot of people, saw a lot of people on Twitter criticizing the league for the 49% solution and such. That, yeah. that was, that was a player driven initiative. Okay. 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 So, so the league put six and one on the table. I think earlier it was five and two, but they came with six and one and the players said, how about this? You know, how about right. seven, but the three forty nine percent And obviously they did a tentative agreement. I think if they had, they put the, the ratification bonus on the table on that deal, it might've passed because mm. really the thing that did pass looks a lot like that. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and let's be honest. There are players who are not as engaged in the issues of the Canadian football league as others. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for those guys, the 2,500 bucks might've got it done. Yeah, right. If you're not yeah. really deeply convicted one way or the other, it's basically, if you vote for this, you get 2,500 bucks. I'm not saying they would have, but we know that the players who are newer to the league tend not to be as invested in the issues mm-hmm. and not so much to do with nationality. Adam Big Hill is as invested in this as anybody could possibly be. He's American. It's more guys that are just coming in through the front door. Right. So, yeah, I think it, had they put the basically the deal that got passed looked a lot like the one that got turned down on the through the tentative agreement. Yeah. Um, other than the ratification bonus, the forty nine percent thing, I think the players came up with it because it was important for them to be able to say there's still seven Canadian starting jobs, even though we can claw back half of them. Now, I don't love this because it's complicated, and yeah. just trying to explain it like as a journalist, <laughs> it's hard when your sport has rules that are so complicated you can't explain them to regular people. Okay. Yeah. That's one. Although I can think of one area where this has an opportunity to at least potentially be really effective and improve the game. And here's where, right? Because everyone's always crying out, why do you want to get rid of the Canadians? Why does the league want to get rid of the Canadians? Why we can ask you talking about this if you want in a moment, because there is an answer to it. But in this case, when the seven Canadian starters happen, start of the season, most people don't have a, a issue with the quality of the players that are the seven starting Canadians on every team. However, by week 12, when three of those guys are hurt and one of those guys, his backup is hurt and we're already down to the third Canadian. And that guy played at Queens last year and he's lined up against a guy who played, you know, was on the Patriots practice roster. You know what I'm saying? That's where we get into issues. So if you think of this now, let's say you have a starting Canadian linebacker and you think he's great and he gets hurt in week two and he's going to miss five games. And the backup that you have for that guy is not ready for pro football. He's a special teamer, right? He played a new sport last year. He can run down, he can crash, he can block, he can break up the wedges, you know, whatever, but he is not ready to start in the middle of your defense. Now reach into your 49% bucket, right? You can start an American there for those five games until your Canadian starting linebacker comes back without having to flip your ratio somewhere else, right? Which drives people nuts. And without having to have the drop-off at that position be such that it's not a guy who's a guy who, who's ready for pro football. So when I started thinking about the 49%, I thought, you know, we're all thinking about this in terms of, Oh, how fast can those coaches get the Canadian off the field, get the American in there. Right. Like that's yeah. Which, which again, I think is an outdated kind of idea of thinking of things. If you look at who the coaches in the league are right now, but 
when I was thinking about, okay, well, where is this really practical? Where is this going to be helpful? And that's where I realized it's on the injury thing because you don't have to back up your starting Canadian anymore with a, with a, a Canadian who's not ready. You can plug in a guy, you know, in, in that, in that scenario. Right. So I think that's, to me, that's at least one positive that, that I can see in the 49 sun solution that we're going to have teams like basically teams pray that their ratio, that their starting seven Canadians don't get hurt. Yeah. Right? And now the effect of getting your starting seven Canadians hurt unquestionably is minimized in this deal. And, and in that part of it, I, I like, I don't love how complicated it is. And I don't mind the playtime thing. Honestly, you got seven Canadian starters and you haven't changed the number of Canadian starters on the roster. I am one who is not deeply offended by asking Canadians to earn their playtime. Well, and well, I see a lot of worry over this deal among fans anyway on Twitter, but it's not like an American, the quality of a Brian Burnham or Willie Jefferson or Adam Big Hill are going to be the guys waiting for a Canadian to get hurt no. to come in and play. So they're almost like an even playing field a little bit. But like you said, some guys in U sports last year and other guys on the, you know, Chargers, uh, you know, yeah. practice roster. So it's always the depth of the, of the yeah. Canadian, right? Yeah. And, and no one's arguing about the Canadians at the top of your roster. It's always about depth, yeah. right? Yeah. So, in that this helps what is a depth problem with Canadians when they get injured. I think that element of the deal, you know, has some, has some positivity to it because I'll tell you where it really, where we see it all the time, right. Where it really hurts the game is offensive line, right. Mm -hmm. You get a you've got two starting Canadian offensive linemen hurt. Okay. If you, if you've got to dress two Americans there to replace those guys, that means two other Canadians somewhere on the field who are playmakers ain't making plays. Right. Yeah. And if your option is to play guys who are not ready <laughs> to take on a double team, you know, like not ready, or sorry, not take, you know, not ready to be part of a double team on a on a guy coming off the edge, you know that 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 what does that do? That gets your quarterback killed, right? Yeah. And it and it, it it does two things: it diminishes your offense while you know because obviously you can't protect your quarterback as well. That hurts the quality of the game, and it potentially ends your season if your quarterback gets hurt. Yeah. So the fact that based on this rule you could plug and play two Americans who are pro ready at offensive line when you get two Canadian offensive linemen hurt right now you're going to have to play Canadian somewhere else. Right. But that's part of the, that's, that's part of the deal. Well, actually, no, you're not, you're not. Cause if you're using on that 49% rule, you're not, you don't have to flip the ratio. Yeah, so yeah. when, when teams talk about coaches having more flexibility to manage situations, I can see already how this ratio and this roster and I think, you know, if the, I hope that is the application of it. I hope fans look at it in a couple of years and say, really, what this 49% has allowed us to do is not so much play Canadians less, but not have to play Canadians who aren't ready when our starting Canadians get hurt. If that's the net effect of this thing, you know, win, 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 right? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know where anything stands on this, but I, I feel if the Schooners came into the league, yeah. They would have to adjust the ratio because the depth is just spreaded that much thinner anyway. Yeah. Is this think, a part of it or no? Um, I, I don't think anybody is counting on that, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of the bridge that we cross. But it's interesting how, you know, the league, every time there's been changes, they've tried to get the ratio down. I mean, the ratio was 10 yeah, yeah. until 1995. Do you remember how it went to seven? Yeah. In 1996, six U.S. teams folded. Right. Well, they're five or six now to remember. And the union. And so they looked at it and said, hey, we got six teams worth of American players who just lost their jobs in order to accommodate those guys. Because right. those guys are union members. We're going to lower the ratio from 10 to seven. Now, in theory, if that was the rationale for doing it in five years, you should have pushed it back up to 10 because those guys have all flown through the league. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. the union always admits. Right. Their first priority is always current union members. So those guys were. We're, we're that. So I don't, you know, I, I expect that when and if we get a 10th team, the league will try and now the question is, would they mess with the starting ratio or would they just mess with the Canadians on the roster? Right. Yeah. That's another way you could do with it. Right. Is, and some people, you know, some people are more protective of those seven because those guys, if you're taking away opportunities from them, you are potentially taking away opportunities from guys that are ready for pro football. If you're taking away the guy who's 21 and 20 at the bottom of your roster of Canadians, those guys are generally development play, developmental players mm -hmm. anyhow. So, you know, if you kept the same number of Canadians in the league and spread them out, there's their opportunity and don't change the number of starters. You'd actually be adding seven Canadian starters to the league. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and, and, uh, but I don't know whether, 
it's an interesting question of whether the league would try and because I think they know that's a hard one to go. It would be easier almost to say, let's go to 20 on the roster. Yeah. Than say, let's go to six. Cause you've kind of had that fight, right? <laughs> In the yeah. CBA. But it's, yeah, you know, I, I, one of the things I was really fascinated about, and it just shows you how, you know, people can rationalize things based on the same facts, right? The argument for a lot of people about why the ratio should stay the same is, hey, Canadian players have never been better than they are right now. Right. Certainly at the higher end, we've we've, we've yeah. never seen this many quality Canadians. We've never seen Canadians in the NCAA like we have. We've never seen Canadians in the NFL like we have of all times. Why would we want to change the ratio now that we actually have enough good players to fill it on every team? The other side where there are so many good Canadian players and Canadian players have never been better. Look at the NFL. Look at the NCAA which is obviously proof that we don't need this ratio like we used to. Canadians yeah. can earn their spots, right? Yeah. Okay, we want to guarantee them some spots. But if you're the seventh best Canadian and you can't beat out the 18th best American, come on. Like, what are we? We got to compete, right? Like, that's both sides say, you know, use the agreement. The Canadian players have ever been, <laughs> never been better. And then apply that to argue for completely opposite things to do to the ratio. <laughs> I would hate to be the person tracking this 49% so, thing, but so like, that's all I know. Yeah, that, I, I thought that was interesting. And, and yeah, I, that is. But, and, and I don't say this very often when you get to metrically opposed arguments, but I actually see both sides. I actually see yeah. the people, why would you get rid of the ratio now? Our seventh Canadian is great. Years ago, that guy might have not been you know good enough, but the Canadians now are good enough. Don't change the ratio. And the other guy's saying, no, like we, this was kind of like the training wheels. We don't need it now. Look at these guys. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then, of course, which flips us into the, yeah, they're good enough, but our American coaches will never recognize that, like, you know, yeah. argument, right? Which I don't necessarily agree with, and I don't know if you want to go there or not. <laughs> Is the league uh, trying to attract more American players with more competition south of the border taking players away? What's their thinking here? Well, I, I think it's a really tough one, right? Because even when the minimum salary goes to 75000 Canadian next year, which, and, and again, people, you know, crying about that. Like, the only real way to look at that is to say, what was it four years ago? Yeah. It was 54. Okay? It's a pretty so big raise. 54 to 75. That's 21000 That's That's like a 40, about a 41, 42% raise yeah. in four years. Right. So I know the minimum salary is still not what people would love to have it be, but it's gone up 40% in four years. It's that. So it's, it's, you know, in terms of things that have been addressed, that is one. Um, But look, the, the, if you look at the, the, what the entry level salaries are in either the USFL and we don't know the XFL yet, all the XFL has said is it will be better than the USFL. Right. So we know the USFL already. They pay guys more per game. It's a 10-week season. You get spit out in June or May. You can go to the NFL. In this league, 21-week season, you know, less money per game, uh, about the same money on the front end, but for twice as many games, right? Because they're paying yeah. like 40 bucks in the U.S. So you're making a little more money in Canada overall, but after taxes, probably in currency, probably not really that much. Mm-hmm. 45 with currency, that would get you to about 65 Canadian, if Canadians making 70 or 75, there's a tax element there. There's housing, all those kind of things. But anyway, the bottom line is if you're just looking at your bang for your buck and you're one of these guys who wants to get the NFL as quickly as possible, the other leagues, you know, the CFL is really not in a position where they can compete because if you're going to try and shift people's minds with money, you probably need to get to about a hundred thousand dollars. So you're going to be able to do that with Canadian yeah. dollars. So what's the point of just pushing your cost point? that high and still losing out on the players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. that's the issue. And and it is a big issue. And I think one of the things they're looking for, for American players and why you have this veteran American status, you know, it was about creating flexibility, but it also does create a little more value for American players. It also does extend the careers of American players, mm-hmm. you know, in theory. And if you're extending their careers, then, you know, the, the, the job of replacing them, is less right. Like yeah. if players are, are turning, if, if your veteran Americans are turning out of the league at a high rate, you got to have a high rate to replace them. that slows down. It's a slower rate to replace. Them. And that's one of the things I know the league looked at in advance of this CBA negotiation was just the turnover in the league in general, too many guys in their first year in the league, too many guys having one and two year careers and then deciding to retire doing, doing something else. So I think in general, they had to make the profession of professional football more appealing for everybody. And that, and that goes for Canadians as well. You know, like there are Canadian players that have played college football at a high level and 
no, I'm good. No, I'm not going to play yeah. this NFL. And, and we're seeing that quite a lot. So I think I think there's an issue with Canadian players because a lot of guys, again, the Canadians coming out of the U sports system tend to be true student athletes, you know, and when they come out of school, they got student options, right? Jobs that pay them as well or better and, and give them, a, you know, more security in the future for Americans. It's more about competing with the other leagues. And I think, you know, the CFL is going to have to rely on its history, its tradition, its stability long-term as opposed to these other leagues. But I mean, look, I'm talking to agents and general managers about this stuff every day. And they, they just say like flat out, we're not going to be able to compete when, you know, wow. for a certain type of player who wants to be able to come because, you know, that if, if a guy's goal is, you know, to play in one of these leagues and get back to the NFL, he's looking to do it as efficiently. Again, they play four down football. They play in America. They play in the spring and they pay more money per game. So who's the agent who's going to send this guy to Canada? Unless, unless a guy says, no, I want to go out there and have a career in Canada. I want to have a five, 10 year career. Yeah. That's, that's the stability, but make no question. This is a big issue. And I think the reason we didn't hear much about it is there's really not much the league can do about it. They're just economically not in a position. But I think long term, you look at it and say that's why, you know, you want to see revenue sharing work. You want to see the genius deal kick in. You want to see revenues increase because it's important that this league pays its players decently because it can't just assume forever it's going to get the next best best from the NFL, which, like, frankly, is what this league has been relying on for 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> right. You don't want to make the NFL. You don't want to make the NFL. You still like to play pro football. Well, there's us and nobody else. Right. I mean, even in Europe where guys are making, you know, peanuts, right. There's nowhere that you can get a, a living wage playing professional football outside of the NFL or hasn't yeah. been than the CFL. So this is, this is a cultural change for the CFL, right? Like they've always kind of been, okay, you don't want to come next, next, next. And that's, you know, there's, look, there's still tons of players, but I think you can't go to that sort of, slippery slide of the argument where you just go, ah, oh, there's tons of players. Well, what are you saying? The players don't matter. Like why do teams scout if there's tons of players? Why don't they just take whoever's next? Well, obviously players matter and players are different. And just because there's lots of them doesn't mean they're all the same. So there you go. What else uh, surprised you that the the players were able to get in this deal on the surface? It appears like a, yeah, a good deal for them. I was surprised they were able to get a guaranteed portion of contracts. I thought that teams just wouldn't do that. You know, like football and guaranteed contracts yeah. are, and the CFL's <laughs> never done it, right? But I think again, I give I give both sides a lot of credit in this one. You know, the league recognizes the danger of having so many players turn over from team to team or out of the league. You know, the joke being the CFL, you can't buy a jersey because you'll be wearing the yeah. other team's jersey next year because that's where your favorite player is going to be. Yeah. And the players had stood strong and said, "You need to give us an incentive to resign." There is none right now. Well, the league did that. You know, and look, I, is it really going to hurt them economically? How many players that signed a two or three year deal aren't around for the third year of that deal? Not that many, but I think, you know, so, but it, but it definitely, it's, it's a commitment, right? Like a fifth, you can negotiate up to 50% of your salary in the final year. Like I'm surprised they did that. The revenue sharing formula, I really don't know what to make of because you, you can put, you know, a formula on the table. And in seven years, we might look back and say, wow, that was great. You know, as the league grew, yeah. The revenues were shared with the players. The salary cap went up way more than $100,000 a year because it's revenue sharing formula. Or we could be here in seven years going, yeah, that revenue sharing formula really didn't net much for the players. I mean, the league's revenues went up, but not enough. And they, you know, I, it's so, you know, you need a degree in economics to be able to look at that and tell me what does that mean, right? And yeah. I, and so I'm not going to pretend. I just know that, you know, the, the league's position is we hope that in seven years, the salary cap is way, way up. And because revenue sharing has kicked in and, and raised it all above the minimums that we guaranteed the players, because that means the league is doing well. Right. So that's, that's what, so I'm, but again, I think that's a significant thing, whether to, to gauge it is tough until we see what it actually produces, but just the fact that the league was willing to go there, I think that's significant. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think I thought the, I thought that the, the league was going to hold strong on one off the ratio. Like I, I, I mean, I'm talking months ago, I would have said, I'll be yeah. shocked if we enter the season with a ratio of seven. Well, kind of we do. I mean, the players, you know, got their, <laughs> got their, um, you know, got got that one technically, but but definitely, but the, the league was definitely willing to compromise. I thought they would have stuck for six and one and just said, you know, we'll see if the players are going to miss the season over one starting Canadian. Uh, I thought the way they fixed the TJ Jones thing was really effective, and that that one didn't get a lot of publicity because it's not very controversial. But I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but I'll try to walk you through this. Sure. TJ Jones. 
Canadian-born uh, NFL players. Played uh, played at Notre Dame. Played like forty-five NFL games before the the pandemic. He signed a deal with the Toronto Argonauts for two hundred thousand dollars a season. Which, as a Canadian player with an NFL pedigree, right? That's you know he's a he's a legit guy. Yeah. Of course, the deal was thrown out because they had a rule that said if you were a rookie Canadian, you have to be slotted. Now, I immediately jumped on that one and said, "Hold on a second. If we don't fix this rule, we basically guarantee that none of the best football players who happen yeah. to be Canadian on the planet will ever step a foot in the CFL." Like John yeah. Mechie, if he doesn't work out in the NFL, is not coming back to play for 65000 No. Right? We know that. Yeah. Okay? But right now, but the way the rule was written, he would have had to. Okay? So what they've done is they've basically started the clock on your rookie contract if you're in the NFL. Right. So if you're collecting a practice roster salary, an IR salary, or an active roster salary, you know, you come back. Let's say you do that for two years. You come back here. You got one year to burn off your CFL rookie deal. If you've been down there three years, you can come up here and negotiate your deal with the team that has your rights yeah. for your long. So I thought that was a you know that was a nice tidy cleanup and and common sense, right? Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? Yeah. Um, and there had been some talk in the union. Well, we don't want players that haven't been union members coming in and taking up that big a salary. Sorry, I don't think that's actually the players' association job. <laughs> that would that yeah. seem like overstepping their their grounds a little bit. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, you know, managing individual salaries is not the players association's job. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, um, yeah, I, I think those were all things that I thought were positive. I mean, they got more health and safety benefits, which I, I know benefits American players because, you know, we yeah. have social medicine in this country. So that's more of a benefit for American players. But again, if we're talking about recruiting American players, I think guys are going to know how much coverage they're going to get when they're hurt. So, yeah, overall, I, I thought I don't think it was a deal where everything moved you know, tremendously in the player's direction, but kind of, if you want to compare a CBA, the only fair comparables, I think, are previous CBAs, Yeah, right? Same union, same league, same business. Comparing it to baseballs and the NFL does totally different business. Yeah. But if you put down this CBA next to the 2019 one and next to the 2014 one, that's a better deal for players. I mean, even even the hundred thousand minimum guarantee, which people are complaining, only salary cap only guaranteed above a hundred thousand. Do you remember what it went up in the last deal? Fifty. Yeah. So, like, even that on the surface, again, I I work in percentages. That's a hundred thousand dollar, hundred percent increase on the yearly up of the salary cap compared to the previous deal. Finally, so, I just want to uh, ask you uh, the overall feeling of the league. I'm pretty sure every year you've covered the league, there's doom and gloom news. This is the last Grey Cup, you know. Everything's coming to the to an end. What's the overall feeling going into our first full season since 2019? You know, the only, the only one I ever covered where I originally thought it was like maybe the final Grey Cup and people, you know, was um, 1996 in Hamilton, right? Yeah, Three teams yeah. in bankrupty, right? Uh, U.S. Yeah. expansion did a year earlier, uh, but yeah, I get I find it hilarious when I find the Twitter stuff like the players have rejected the tentative agreement. CFL's going down. Yeah, this sixteen hours, however long this lasts, will probably do. <laughs> you know, like, I try to tamp that stuff down and say, folks, okay, there are real critical issues in this league that could threaten its survival. That's not one of them. But anyway, um, yeah, look, I think actually there's a real sense of positivity and accomplishment coming out of this, right? I. I mean, look where we were a year ago, right? It's I about know. a year ago. We were still in the XFL thing a year ago, uh, which, I, you know, again, I, I was intrigued by to see what they could come out with it, but they didn't. it didn't work. Ship has sailed. So, yeah, I, I do think that the, the – and you've got some new blood in the league. I think, you know, having a new owner like Amar Deman in BC uh, and even, you know, Gary Stern in, in Montreal, who's been – in the league sort of, you know, since before the pandemic, but really this is his first regular season. Yeah. And, you know, Victor Quee in Edmonton is the new president. They don't have owners in Edmonton, but they have team presidents. And it's a guy who, you know, has a wealth of experience from beyond the Canadian football league. He's a local guy, you know, and again, you'll just look at some of the things that they're doing that look like they've really changed the feeling in that community. So I actually think, and you know, people are excited about the genius deal. You got seven years of labor peace. We're going to get a full season. It's it's like we had to eat a ton of garbage for the last two plus years, but I actually think people are feeling pretty positive. We're going to see now where this is the first season in a legal gambling environment. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to kind of be excited about. And then the, the rule changes, which were not as radical as a lot of people feared, but they're going to change the game a little bit. So 
I, I, I can only be real. Speaking to me personally and the people I work with, I think there's a tremendous amount of anticipation and excitement about what this is all going to look like and, and really a feeling of gratitude. I think that the league has come through this, I, I feel, much better than I would have thought a year ago. I, I just even, even on the CBA, um, yeah. look, I, a year ago, I thought, my God, I wouldn't want to be the players negotiating with a group of owners that just like lost an entire season of, of red ink. And now they got another one with shrunken crowds and COVID stuff. Could you imagine sitting down with these guys next spring? They're just going to like eat you for lunch. <laughs> no, the owners did not negotiate like they were on, on their knees. They yeah. didn't, they negotiated like they were fair business people. So, you know, I, again, that was just another reason to feel good. So uh, I'm excited about it. There's a lot of exciting players I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing how this new CBA improves the league. I mean, mostly that's going to be beyond this year. All these roster things we've been fighting about, people are probably like, what? It doesn't start till next year? No, because when you're building a roster over the offseason, you have to know what the rules are for that roster. So when you change it in the CBA, everybody's got another offseason to tweak the roster. But no, I, I, I legitimately and sincerely believe that people are feeling pretty good about the Canadian Football League. And I think that's a bit of a surprise. I'm uh, I'm glad we don't have to talk about this CBA stuff for next uh, half or three quarters of a decade or whatever it will be. Wait till next year when we're talking about 49. So you'll have a bit of a yeah. <laughs> football insider with TSN. Dave Naylor coming on the show this week to put a bow on the collective bargaining agreement. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And joining the Two and Out podcast now is Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks and the host of the new Antler Up podcast. I just got to say, watch the first episode. Man, I, I, uh, I'll i never look at my Lodge cast iron uh, Dutch <laughs> oven or pan the same again. <laughs> exactly right. Things you needed to know about South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, right there for sure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to, to sit down with a coach like that. And uh, hopefully we'll have a, a few more good episodes moving forward as well. That's so cool. It's been an off-season of change in Edmonton again. Uh, a lot of people had optimism about the team going into last year, though. The, the Elks were predicted to contend for a Grey Cup that didn't happen. Is there a different sort of optimism in the air this year? Uh, cautious optimism is in the air this year, I think, around town for sure. Uh, uh, it's it's you know, last year, a lot of the experts picked the Elks to, to finish first, maybe go to the Grey Cup, right? This year, everyone's picked them to finish last. Uh, right. So who, who knows what's going to happen, really? That's, as the old saying goes, that's why they play the games, right? Uh, so w- we'll see. But there is cautious optimism, and I think uh, winning their first preseason game, although it's just preseason, it doesn't really matter uh, in the big picture of things. But I think winning the first preseason game helps everybody to feel a little bit better about what's happened. But, yeah, the, the attitude – and everything around this team from where they were in November when the season ended to where they are now, 180 degrees. It is so different to be around the Edmonton Elks right now than it was back in November, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and I get the feeling from a fan point of view that the, the off-the-field optimism is greater, even if there is cautious optimism as far as on-the-field performance goes. Well, as, as bad as the team was on the field last year, uh, I think things were more broken off the field. Uh, there was a pretty big disconnect with the fan base, and the fan base was pretty restless. Uh, Victor Kui recognized that as soon as he came in and, and worked hard to prepare, uh, to repair that. Uh, the board of uh, the board that hired him also recognized it and made sure they got the right guy to come in and try and fix that. And you know, this is a community-owned team, and and they had uh, they had broken off ties with the community almost it just wasn't you know and COVID was part of that yeah because they weren't allowed to do a lot of things that they normally would have done but still uh, there seemed to be a disconnect and uh whatever happens on the field this year the fans are going to be happier with the performance of the team off the field for sure they're already happy uh Victor has done such a great job just reaching out and and setting up just so many events that you know first from the the double E back on the helmets to the double header with the golden bears game. Uh, just to little, he's, he's created a, uh, a like a, a fan outreach panel of some sort. And he's always in, in communication with the fans. He's great on Twitter. I mean, yeah. uh, he's, he answers fans questions. He talks to them, he answers them truthfully. Uh, and, and he, he gives them the goods and he, and he answers usually pretty quickly. And, and one of the things I heard from a, a lot of fans was that, 
I went to follow him on Twitter, and I found out he's already following. Uh, so he's, he's very, very in touch with the fan base. There's no doubt about that. And I did reference Chris Jones off the top of the show, and obviously, well, I, I learned from the podcast that he was there as a guest coach in 1999, but he had his first head coaching gig there and well before 2015, but won the Grey Cup in 2015. Is he the the same guy with the GM title now as well? Uh, he's kind of the same guy, but kind of different. He knows what the situation has been in Edmonton, and he knows what his, his rep was. Uh, around Edmonton for the right. last couple of years when, when he left, you know, 48 hours after the Great Cup, basically, uh, in 2015. And, you know, and then uh, he left Saskatchewan for the NFL. And, and I, I think he realizes that he's kind of got that rep as a bit of a wanderer and a bit of a mercenary. But now he's the, the biggest change in him, I noticed, is he, he knows that. And he says he wants to settle down. He wants to, mm. he wants to make his mark with a franchise. And as he said when he got hired, he wants to be like Wally. Uh, he wants to be like Huff. Uh, he wants to be a guy who, when you think about uh, him, you think about one franchise, and he wants that franchise to be the Edmonton Elks. So, yeah, he's still the same same shrewd football mind. He's amazing yeah. that way. Like I, I find him incredible to talk to. He just you can just name a player, and he'll tell you what his forty time is. He'll tell you where he went to high school. He just knows. <laughs> he's just an encyclopedia with uh, with football players, and and he keeps in touch with so many along the way. So yeah, he's a great football mind. He can find talent too. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We've seen that over the years. There's so many guys in this league who are Chris Jones guys, uh, and they they like him so much, and he believes in them so much that they follow him to whatever team he's on at times, right? And uh, he's brought a few of those guys with him here, uh, and he's brought in some new guys too. And, and that's the one thing, you know, over the years we've seen, he's, he's brought in talent to this league. There's no doubt about it. He finds guys who can play Canadian Football League football. I remember his first year in Saskatchewan, the The whole season was almost treated as extended training camp. The lineup changed every single week. Do you think we're going to be seeing that this time around? Uh, I, I think he's got uh, a few more. I don't know if the if the mess is as much here. It, it doesn't pretty, seem like it. It was a pretty big mess here, I think, when he took over. Uh, but I think it was worse when he took over in Regina because they were a pretty bad team, I think, uh, coming off of that, the year that when he joined them, right? And that's why, you know, they threw the pile of money at him to get him to come and try and fix it. And I think I think he had to do that, right? Uh, we've seen here uh, at, throughout training camp, he's had about 100 guys. And when he yeah. cuts, when he cuts two, he brings two more in, right? Uh, and now he's he's only allowed to what is eighty five. You're allowed to have now, I think. So uh, now he sits at eighty five, and when he cuts two, he brings two more in because that's just <laughs> he just wants to keep it going and keep looking at guys and keep evaluating guys and and some guys he's cut he might bring back you know later on. It might be an opportunity. That's that's the way he operates, right? And he's he's made contact with them and uh, some guys you know he feels that can play and. We'll see. It's going to be hard, I think, for him to cut down this roster because there's a lot of guys, you know, that are impressive. They had a pretty good night uh, in Winnipeg. And, you know, again, it's preseason win, but yeah, it's always good to win, right? So yeah. uh, and they, had, they had a pretty good night uh, in Winnipeg. So a lot of guys who, who got a chance to play put some numbers up. Are there any on-the-field moves in the offseason that really stand out to you right now? Uh not, uh, you know, bringing back Darrell Walker was, was pretty big, I think. And, and uh, you know, Greg Ellingson, obviously there's not enough room for him uh, on the payroll when that happens. So they, they lose him. But uh, I, I, I don't think I – don't, I wasn't really surprised at anything because they won three games last year. So yeah. you, can't, you can't fault them for any change they want to make, right? Uh, they won three games and they have to be better this year. And, uh, you know, he brought in a lot of his guys. And that's one thing he has, especially on defense, he has a style that um, uh, he wants people to play and his style has to be played a certain way. His defense has to be played a certain way or it's not successful. So he brings in guys, you know, like Mac Henry, like uh, Toby and guys who know the system and can play the system. And I think that's where uh, he's going to have success quicker. Uh, to, he hasn't been shy to bring in the 30 plus year olds who uh, know him and know his system or the 30 plus year olds who've been out of football for a while, yeah. like, like Jerron Carter, um, like Manny Arsenal, like those guys. And I think he's looking for that Band-Aid from the older guys that will get the, get him to the spot where he can move some younger guys into the lineup in the next over the next couple of years. 
We did reference the first preseason game, and Nick Arbuckle had a great performance. And I, I think quarterback has been the biggest question mark throughout the entire offseason. If you had to set the over-under on Nick Arbuckle starts, <laughs> is it eight and a half? Or is it just one of those Chris Jones things where we don't know who's going to be the quarterback until week one? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and he said it all offseason. He said it's going to be a competition and the best guy is going to win it. Uh, and the best guy from game one was obviously Nick Arbuckle. And, uh, and moving forward, we'll see where it lands after that. But it's more than just the preseason game, right? It's all the practices. It's the second preseason yeah. game as well. But uh, Nick Arbuckle, he worked hard in the offseason. I mean, he, hasn't, he didn't play a lot last year. He was here for five games last year and never even got to dress. Uh, barely got to practice as well through most of his time here. He was always like the third or fourth guy at practice. So uh, he worked hard. Uh, he arranged a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, player uh, get-togethers in California with some CFL guys, and that included Kenny Lawler, uh, who he got together with at least once a week to throw footballs with. So uh, he did a lot of work to prepare for this. I think he knew he had a challenge ahead of him, and I think he did his work to try and get there. And I, I think to a certain extent, uh, let's be honest, right? Uh, last year, the Toronto Argonauts made a decision to keep McLeod Bethel-Thompson over Nick Arbuckle. Um, the coaching staff that helped make that decision, a lot of them are here now. So uh, you got to wonder what their thoughts were then and, and why they made that decision. Uh, but Nick Arbuckle, man, he, he's got to be changing your mind already. He's had a pretty good camp, and he had a really good game. I mean, he was razor sharp in that game in Winnipeg on the weekend. So, um, so he's done his job so far, and he's going to – going to make the decision process tougher is he it's it's hard to say because he really hasn't played <laughs> yeah for exactly is he and, the leader on the for training camp or what's that looking like i i mean he's got the most experience he's got uh he's got the most wins he's got the most touchdown passes he is his numbers alone uh, including his experience and years of service, make him the number one guy. But that doesn't give you the number one job, right? You still yeah. got to go out and earn it. Taylor Cornelius, you know, I mean, he's got some great skills. Yeah. He's got to learn to learn to harness a few things. I'll tell you what: of the the quarterbacks that played in the game on on uh, what was it Friday night in Winnipeg, uh, the guy who maybe I saw more from than I expected was Kai Loxley, who came in late in the game and looked and looked pretty good, very composed and, and very cool under pressure. Uh, I don't think he's worked his way to the mix for the number one job, but he was the guy who I walked away from that game going, wow, I saw way more from him than I thought I would in that game in that situation. So uh, there's, there's four guys here. Uh, Trey Ford, it's going to be a learning experience for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to, he, he showed he can run, man. He ran for, I think, 47 yards in the game. He was, he was the leading rusher uh, for the Elks in the game, I believe. And uh, he had, he got blitzed all night long. So he's got to learn how to read that and deal with that. But what's the answer to the blitz is for the quarterback to take off. And, and he did that very well in that game. He's got lots to learn still, but it was a good first step for him. So it's, it's, to me, it's been the number one story going into training camp and it's still the number one story with the Elks right now who's going to get that job and what's the pecking order going to be uh for the rest of the jobs as well for the backup and and the third string guy now are there any other newcomers that have uh, impressed we talked a lot about the vets that Chris has brought into camp any newcomers that are yeah you know there's there's been a few guys I mean just just going back to the game uh uh, the other day uh you know that uh, that took place in Winnipeg they had a few guys who who stepped up and, and made plays, especially offensively. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out uh, a, a little bit moving forward. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. In a, for me, for me anyway, it's hard to tell in the preseason game just who is yeah. is, is really standing out. Uh, Jalen Marshall uh, was pretty good. Uh, he was a leading receiver. He ran the ball once for 11 yards. Uh, uh, and they, they had some guys who, who you know, you kind of go, oh, wow. I didn't expect to see that from that guy, but, you know, because we don't know anything about these guys, basically, yeah, right? You know, yeah. uh, Chris Jones and his staff do because they've been scouting them for months and then brought them in. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the guys who played well on Friday night uh, play in the second preseason game against a little bit better competition, a little bit, a few more starters into the game for longer terms, uh, longer term of time uh, against the Calgary Stampeders this week, and we'll see how they do then. No home wins in 2021. Uh, Ouch. We, we, we referenced the, the preseason game. The Elks scored 30 points. It, it, through the first two games of last year, they scored 25. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dave and I were – Dave. they were up uh, – I think they are up 17-7 at one point. 
And uh, Dave and I were joking uh, in a commercial break saying, I don't think they've had a 10-point lead since 2019 in the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, it was fun to watch. I mean, that uh, you know, we had I don't know, you know, they they just they just could not get it going offensively last year uh, for whatever reason. I mean, the players were good. The players were really yeah. good offensively, but for whatever whatever reason, they couldn't punch it in. They were they were awful in the red zone and they just couldn't get touchdowns when they needed them last year. But that wasn't the case, you know, again, preseason, right? But yeah. still uh, they did it. You still, if you can't do it in preseason, you're not doing it in the regular season. So they passed the first step, I guess. They got some points on the board in a preseason game. Yeah, and I, I think uh, if, if fans expect, well, at least experts are experts, quote unquote, picking the Elks to finish near the bottom of the Western Division. Yeah, but those are the same experts who picked yeah. them to finish near the top. Maybe year, the right? opposite will happen so, yeah, in 2022. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, that's the whole thing. I, there's so many quote-unquote experts out there. But, I mean, half the, the new players oh. who come into the league, you, the coaches and the scouts know how good they are, but the experts have never seen half these guys play ever yeah. until they see them in training camp. So uh, they don't really know that much about the new-look rosters, and I'm in that category too. I don't know a lot of these guys who have impressed me and I, who I've seen. I never heard of them until they, you know, until the football team signs them. There's so many guys like that who come into the, the CFL. Hey, at one point, nobody knew who Darrell Walker was. Nobody knew yeah. who all the great players around were when they come into camp, right? So uh, we'll see how it develops over the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, I think either way, uh, the Elks and Chris Jones will continue to be newsmakers in the CFL. And I think they'll be competitive and fun right from the start, winning or losing. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fun to watch. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I'm 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 really looking forward to getting this uh, getting the regular season going. I think the the Elks are too because uh, especially I've talked to a lot of veterans leading into camp, and the one thing they want to do is get off to a good start, play football, and just forget about last season as quickly as they can because it was it was a rough year all around for everybody yeah. last year. Awesome. The new leaf is here. Everybody's tied at the beginning of the, the regular season. Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks and the host. Check it out. The new Antler Up podcast joining me today to preview the Edmonton Elks for the season. Thanks for taking the time, Morley. Uh, it's a pleasure. Long-time listener, first-time caller, so I'm glad to be here. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Howard. This episode of To and Out is brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, it's produced by Lisa Pruden. The Well Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. The latest episode, 123, has Anna Maria Tremonti, a longtime journalist here in Canada, and hosted uh, the CBC's The Current for 17 years. She is on the latest episode of the Well Endowed Podcast, and you can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Thanks again to Dave Naylor of TSN and the voice of the Edmonton Elks, Morley Scott, for coming on the show this week. We will continue our team previews next week, the rest of the Western Division, the Eastern Division, before the games. The regular season starts next Thursday. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Two and Out podcast on your favorite podcatcher. I'm Travis Curra. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.